I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Hey everybody, this is Richard Deitch, and welcome to the Sports Media Podcast. My producer is Patrick Antonetti. Today, two guests, two of the people in my ecosystem who marinate in sports viewership and sports ratings every day. Um, I have great respect for them, and I trust their insight and data. John Lewis is the founder and editor of the Sports Media Watch. Uh, If you are a kind of a sports viewership nerd as I am, you are probably already following him on Twitter under his Paulson uh, designation. Austin Karp is the Sports Business Daily Managing Editor slash Digital. Again, one of the Bibles of the profession. And Austin Karp, if you subscribe to that publication, as you know, is the person who uh, pretty much chronicles uh, the viewership for all of us uh, regarding trends and other interesting things. And I'm pleased to be joined by John Lewis and Austin Karp. On the Sports Media Podcast, fellas, thank you for coming back. Hey, thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. All right, I'm going to start with you, Austin, and we're going to start with the NFL Draft. The three days of the NFL Draft averaged 6.1 million viewers across ESPN, ABC, NFL Network, probably some digital stuff, uh, or maybe I'll specify the digital stuff. Uh, That was down from a record 8.2 million last year, but generally speaking, pretty close to flat from 2019. So let me start with you, Austin. What does that mean? What can we take away from the viewership in the NFL draft? You know, thinking about it in the three-day perspective, there's still interest there. There's still interest in it as a live event. People will still sit there for, what is it, five or six hours on a Saturday and just keep it up as background noise. But I think what we really need to hone in on is that first round. I mean, think of it like the Oscars. It's like the NFL puts best picture, best actor, best director, you know, all the best categories on Thursday night. And then you get best cinematography on Friday or Saturday. So that first round number, which is what people are really paying attention to, that was really strong. And ahead of what I thought, ahead of what my colleague John Aram thought it was going to be, it wasn't what it was for the record setting number last year when there was absolutely nothing going on, no competition. But come back this year to see the strong number that that first round put out. Thank you to Adam Schefter and uh, Aaron Rodgers for helping boost it a little bit. But it was good to see that a live NFL event in the offseason can still do well like that. You mentioned Oren. I mean, that guy's dead to me at the moment. He's on too many other podcasts. I'm trying to get rid of him. I can't can't get rid of him. He's Kylo Ren. (laughs) Hard to get rid of him. All right. So, John Lewis, Austin Karp says – you know, yes, the the three day average is uh, is flat or it's down actually a little bit from 2019. But the focus he says should be on that opening night. That opening night was 12.5 million, uh, jumped 13 percent from 2019. Obviously, if you're the NFL, ESPN, ABC, NFL Network, you got to be you got to be thrilled by that. So, should we focus more on that? Should we focus more on that first day number, in your opinion, than the three day number? 
I think you can kind of focus on both. Uh, that first night, obviously, that's a massive number by any standard. Beats the Oscars, beats pretty much everything else on TV. Uh, pretty safe bet it's going to beat some NBA Finals and World Series games this year as well. But I do think the three-day number matters because the fact is that pace wasn't sustained in day two and day three. Uh, and, uh, you know, day three was... Obviously, you're talking about the final three rounds of a three-day draft. The fact that it does as well as it does is incredible. But, you know, you, you know, those were it wasn't the strongest finish. Uh, so that tells me there's not necessarily vulnerability there, nothing to really worry about. But the fact is, I mean, NFL Network had its least-watched draft telecast in at least nine years with that day three. I don't think that's nothing. Uh, but again, if you're the NFL, you're doing backflips that, you know, you had the kind of number that you had for that first round. I just wouldn't say that, you know, the second and third rounds are completely meaningless. I think there's a little bit to look at there. And, and maybe what we might be seeing is that people are more judicious with their viewing. They might tune in for a first round, a big event, and not necessarily stick around as much for, you know, the kind of more boring elements that second and, and third night. You know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll stick with you, Austin, here, because, like, John makes a really interesting point. Like, like day three's down. Like, there's no spinning that for the NFL. But if you sort of take a top-down, like, view, <laughs> they're still drawing, like, 2.7 million viewers across the three networks. D do you know how many, um, how many sporting properties would kill for 2.7 million viewers? And this is, <laughs> this is day three of the draft. You know, we're not talking, like, day one. So it's down, and I think... I think John Lewis has sort of hit on something in that, like, it's it's not event viewing here. Like, this is sort of diehard viewing, and maybe there's something we can extrapolate from diehard viewing. But 2.7 million is still a massive number in 2021 for a, for a quote-unquote sporting event. Uh, the answer to your question is every league would kill for that number. Any property would kill for that number. Um, what, but what John said is true. NFL Network on its own. You know, down significantly on Saturday. ESPN similarly down significantly on Saturday. But you're also throwing the event on ABC now, which you know for many years it, it, it did not have that broadcast TV presence. So you got you're getting a three network exposure there on on Friday and Saturday and Thursday, and it's just become this really cool event. They're 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 trying these gimmicky things, and it's not necessarily bringing in the viewers. So maybe they they can tinker with it. But seeing that it's getting a steady audience there, even in a, I guess, well, yeah, if you want to call it a not as exciting two through seven rounds, um, they have to be happy. Network execs have to be happy. Advertisers have to be happy. The league has to be happy. All right. I want to switch to the Kentucky Derby. And I'll start with you here, John. Um, my thesis, rightly or wrongly, was that what the Derby did this year was going to be an indicator for how we might see viewership later on in the year for what I would call like the jewel events and like jewel events to me are like, um, uh, you know, the NBA postseason um, or the like the NHL Stanley Cup, Major League Baseball All-Star Game, you know, maybe one of these golf championships like, you know, the U.S. Opener something like that, NASCAR, Coca-Cola 600, the Olympics, I feel like, and I'll end with that with you guys, but like, I feel like that's just its own sort of separate animal. So I wrote this piece for The Athletic, and sort of my thesis was that I, I thought we could learn a lot 
from whatever the Derby viewership was because the, the viewership was so down last year when they moved it. Um, you know, they changed the calendar. They made the Kentucky Derby later in the year. They made it the second race of the Triple Crown as opposed to the first. And NBC records 14.5 million viewers with a peak of 15.7 million when Medina Spirit wins the race. Probably another 100,000 or so via streaming. Now, as you and Austin know, that is down from sort of what we saw even like three or four or five years ago when that race was pulling, you know, 16 million or so, a little bit more. But I thought that's a pretty good viewership number as we're still in the middle of a pandemic, given what that number was last year, which was the lowest uh, of all time. So it makes me maybe a little cautiously optimistic about some of the other numbers we're going to see later this year um, with these jewel events. But before you get to that, I want to ask you just on the Derby itself, what did you think of that viewership number? I thought it was a very strong number, given everything. Uh, you know, the fact that they were able to basically recoup nearly all of their losses from last year in terms of viewership, going from 9.26 to 14.37. I mean, that's other than getting all the way back to 2019 or 2018, that's about as good as NBC could have hoped for. I was thinking maybe 11, 12, 13 million. I had actually said to your colleague Bill Shea at The Athletic that I thought maybe it might beat the Oscars and the NFL draft. And then by the time of the race, I was actually second guessing myself because I'm like, there's no hype for this. Horse racing doesn't generally get a lot of hype and we're still dealing with the conditions of everything. And then for it to get 14 million, I, I was pretty surprised by that. Um, that was a very strong number. I don't necessarily know how much of a harbinger that will be for the NBA and, and Stanley Cup, but I do think it was a strong number for the Derby. What did you think, Austin, when you saw that coming? I was I was surprised as well. I did not think it would do that strong a number, but it did. And it just I think it does go to reinforce that there is pent up demand for watching a normal sporting event. You know, it wasn't a packed house at Churchill Downs, but there was you had the the pomp and the and the pageantry and the hats, and it, it kind of had that semblance of normalcy, kind of like the draft did with having people at the draft, live, high-fiving Roger Goodell, sitting in his chair. It, you know, it, it's like a return. It's the start of a return to normal. And I think it might be a harbinger of some better numbers. I don't, I agree with John. I don't know if it's going to help the NHL, but, you know, I, I think it could help the NBA. I think it will help the Olympics. It could help the All-Star game. Um, we, have, we didn't even see a Wimbledon last year, so could it help something like that? And I think if we see a normal schedule, the start of college football in particular, I think you'll see an uptick to start the season. All right, let's stick with you, Austin. And I want to talk about the NBA postseason and the NHL postseason. Uh, these will be, uh, generally speaking, back in their normal windows. Although, again, these have been very, you know, the reality. I mean, this has still been a, a very unique and unlike any other season. I mean, take the NHL. We have a Canadian division. We've never had that before. We may never have that again in the NBA. We have playing games for, you know, 10th, 9th seed. Um, that may stick, but but the point is, again, that has not happened before. We still are dealing in both sports with very minimal fans. So while it's, it feels more like, uh, it, it feels certainly different um, and closer to the norm than 2020 was, it's still an abnormal year. I mean, there's no way around that. Um, so that said... When you're looking to extrapolate or when you're thinking about how the NBA postseason and the NHL postseason, uh, give me some of the things you're thinking about in terms of potential viewership here. 
you know, I'll, I'll start with the NBA. I mean, it's going to be so much kind of name. It's going to be name driven. Like it, it is a lot of times people want to see LeBron play. Um, they're going to want to see some of the bigger names. Like I know Jamal Murray's not going to be there for the nuggets, but I don't think he's a household name anyways. But if you see, you're, you're going to see Kevin Durant and Kyrie and James Harden, you know, for the first time in the playoffs with the nets, like kind of going at it and making the Eastern conference, you know, maybe, maybe it actually matters now. And something I'm really paying attention to are the Knicks. If they can draw in, if they can make a run here and make it to maybe the Eastern Conference semifinals, finals, you're going to be able to see a huge number coming out of the New York market. And it's really going to help boost some of those numbers. John, let me tell well, I'm going to get back to you on the NHL, Austin. But John, let's stick with the NBA. Uh, I mean, there's no spinning it. The NBA's uh, viewership last year in the finals were horrific um, for the NBA. Again, you know. Context is king. Let's keep it in mind. There are some places, obviously, that would kill for, you know, 8.5 million viewers. In fact, every scripted show right now on television would. But, you know, um, that series, like at one point in that series, they drew under 6 million for a game. I think the last game of the series, John, you probably have, are more facile at this or can do it off the top of your head. I think it was a little over 8 million, if I remember right, for uh, Lakers Heat final. It, um, it was a very low low NBA finals. I mean, I remember I, you know, I covered Low is being kind. Richard. Yeah, right. Exactly. Low is being kind. The, I covered the Raptors Warriors uh, series. Cause obviously I, I live in Toronto and work up here now. And you know, there was talk like, man, that, that was not a good uh, finals viewership. Look at the finals viewership in 2019 compared to 2020 and the NBA, uh, you know, would have gone through what Andy Dufresne did in Shawshank to get those numbers. So yeah, Austin is correct. The, the, the viewership, cratered um i think there's a lot of different reasons for why it cratered i'm not litigating that on this podcast lord knows i've done it enough but um you should probably never sort of make guarantees john but honestly i would be stunned if the viewership's not up this year uh and we could see the viewership up significantly how and only because i think the calendar is just more normalized um how do you see if you had to take a guess regarding what you think the postseason will see what are some of the things you're thinking about? Well, you know, one problem, and I would agree, it would be absolutely shocking if the ratings of the finals weren't up double digits. But, you know, there's a big difference between being up the way the Derby was, up 50%, or the way the Masters was, up 60%, and being up 25 30%. And because the NBA is taking place, you know, the second round should be underway right now, right? You know, by the time the playoff starts, everything, you know, knock on wood that everything can start as scheduled, uh, that's going to be around the time the conference finals would usually start. Uh, you know, I mean, you're going to have first round games on Memorial Day. That's usually, I mean, the NBA finals started the day after Memorial Day back in 2019. So it's still, an, an, yeah, it's a normal time of year still for the NBA. Uh, obviously, much better time of year than last year, if only just because they don't have to go up against the NFL. I truly believe that the league coming back at the end of July instead of the start made a huge difference there because if they had had the finals out of the way by maybe week one of the NFL season, I think they would have gotten some better numbers. Nothing, nothing dramatically better, but still better than what they got. So time of year matters. Um, but I also think, you know, uh, Austin was talking about, hey, we might get to see Durant, Harden and, West, and, uh, and Kyrie. I mean, are we sure? You know, I mean, are we sure everyone's going to be healthy? You know, what about COVID protocol? I mean, we've seen that affect teams already with Schroeder out with the, uh, Zach Levine and the Bulls were in the playoff hunt. And then he 
was out with COVID protocol. Uh, De'Aaron Fox in Sacramento doesn't seem to have hurt the Kings that much. They've won a few games lately against good teams. But, you know, I would be shocked if there wasn't at least one key player who had to miss around with COVID. And, you know, what if it's a star, yeah. right? What if the Lakers and Celtics get knocked out in that play-in round? You know, the, you know, the thing, Austin, uh, you, you too, John, as well, um, the thing I've always said, this is, again, there's no Albert Einstein genius take here, but I think anyone who even a little more than casually writes about or pays attention to sports viewership, I think w- would agree that, and Austin hit on one of them, if the Knicks could ever sustain consistent winning, and if the Bulls could ever contain consistent winning, and if the Warriors return to health, and when I say return to health, meaning Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, those guys are all in the lineup uh, at the same time, you would have two mega markets in the East um, being some kind of destination viewing, which the league has been desperately needed, and maybe Brooklyn will ultimately be that. And you'd have the team, Austin, that for four plus years, five years, was essentially your best television team, better than LeBron's team. I mean, you know, people's memories are short, but the Warriors basically carried this league from, you know, 2015 to, to 2018 slash 19. Um, they were putting up mega numbers. I mean, again, people forget about this. The, the NBA Finals drew 31 million in 2016 when the Warriors played the Cavs with all those stars. So like Michael Jordan era, I mean, dating back to that time, it, it was huge. Correct, right. We're not so far away. So again, I, I get all, all, your, every, all your sort of people out there who are like, no one's coming back to the NBA because of social justice messaging, blah, blah, blah. It's it, it, There are factors that if you're just going to be honest with yourself, if you're going to sort of talk about this in good faith, the reality is like the NBA is not far away from a couple things happening on the court. Again, I'm not saying they get back to, you know, Jordan era because that's never going to happen. But these small things, Austin, would change the game. And I think you hit it with the Knicks. The New York market has not been in play for this league. It feels like at this point for 15 years. I mean, I grew up in New York. I remember how important the Ewing, Starks, Oakley, you know, Van Gundy. That that those teams were so important to the league in terms of viewership. And the league hasn't gotten anything out of New York and Chicago in forever. So I'm with you. I feel like if the Knicks, if the Knicks could even, man, if they could just win a round, I think it's game changing. I agree. For the I mean, can you imagine a Knicks Nets series? I mean, on ESPN oh. <laughs> or TNT would love to have a piece of that. And it would be huge. And, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see, I think during the last week of the season, when uh, the selections have yet to be made yet for the national telecasts, I think on a Tuesday night, there's a Lakers Knicks game and that could be TNT's best regular season game. I mean, uh, if, if LeBron is back in particular, but a strong Knicks team could really help that out. Um, I mean, just as far as, you know, the playoffs from a 30,000 foot level, John hit on something that is, is interesting in the timing. And with everything sliding back, you're going to have to look at hut levels as we get deeper into the playoffs, the houses using televisions, because, you know, as you get deeper into June, people are out of school, people are going on vacation. So there might be less television watching, which is what we typically see during the summer. And, and it could hurt numbers on top of the fact that people are just watching you know, TV is fragmented. Media viewing is fragmented now. And that is across sports. 
and people were just watching less of all of it. There was more out there. So individual things are being watched less. There are, like you said, so many mitigating factors. John, um, you have any thoughts on the NHL? Um, I, I can tell you from living in Toronto that the Canadian division up here will get incredible viewership for those first two rounds of the playoffs. I don't think many people in the States are going to care, quite frankly, about the, you know, Leafs Canadians, Leafs Winnipeg, Winnipeg Oilers. Uh, but I, I, I don't really have a great feel as to how the NHL postseason is going to play this year in the States. You know, you're going to have some very good hockey markets, you know, the Bostons and, uh, and the Washingtons. Uh, Vegas is a good hockey market, you know, in the playoffs and potentially going far. You got any thoughts? You got any feeling feeling on this? Um, it, that's honestly a little tricky for me to figure out, just given the the we have a very different playoff scenario here, where you know the Canadian division is sort of the Canadian division, and then you're eventually going to get one Canadian team in the final four, no matter what. Yeah, I think it's hard to get a feel generally because you don't see local ratings anymore. Obviously, we all know those local ratings across the board have to be tanking with the amount of difficulty they're having getting into people's homes. So we don't see local ratings anymore. And the national ratings really aren't very good at all. Uh, NBC, I think, just had its least watched NHL regular season game or, well, period, because regular season and postseason. I think NBC just had their least watched game ever last week under 600,000 for uh, Lightning Red Wings. Um, You know, neither the NHL nor the NBA are really doing so hot this season. Um, You know, frankly, I think the NBA is faring a little bit better than the NHL is. I think the NHL has really had a very quiet, forgettable year. And I feel like, I mean, you know, I, I maybe I'm projecting a bit, but I don't know how much faith everyone has in the NHL's idea. Do you really think you're going to be able to make this work in a way that, you know, feels right? Because trying to bring in uh, the Canadian team, they're going to be playing in the States at some neutral site eventually. It's just going to be kind of odd. And the changes to the divisions, the fact that you haven't had anyone outside of their own division all season with the NBA, at least you've had teams playing each other in a semi-normal fashion. Uh, I I get the sense that uh, between the NHL and the NBA, I feel like the NHL is going to have an even tougher road in this postseason because it's just been so different. Yeah, they're going to need, I mean, history tells us that honestly, maybe even NBC doesn't even care because they're lame duck owners at this point, but they're going to need a Boston or a Washington, maybe a Pittsburgh, like as one of those teams in the final. Like if it's Carolina or Tampa Bay, and by the way, those are terrific hockey teams. Great teams, yeah. Yeah, but they're, they have no chance in viewership. Like that's hist- history sort of has already told you that. No offense to Lightning or Hurricanes fans. I'm just being honest, like. That has no ch- that has no chance of rating nationally. Richard, I've lived in North Carolina now for around thirty years, and I got to tell you, like I don't live in Raleigh, but I got to tell you, the North Carolina market is not going to bring it for a Stanley Cup final. If, if- yeah, it's not. It's a shame because like th- those are particularly Tampa Bay has been like almost like an All Star team in the NHL, but it's just it's not a national draw unless it goes against uh, you know a bigger traditional hockey market. Uh, um, so we'll see. Our- Eventually, the NHL is also, they're going to, you know, 
they're going to get a string where it's going to be some Canadian teams in the finals. The NBC, NBC has not really had to deal with a whole lot of that. They haven't had to deal with Canadian teams winning it, and they very rarely have had to deal even with a Canadian team making the Stanley Cup final. They've been very lucky in that regard. But, you know, yeah, if you start seeing a bunch of, you know, Montreal-Vancouver finals uh, you know, or, or, the, or the like, that's going to – that hurts. That that's going to hurt significantly. And you, like John said, I'm not, I'm much more bullish on the NBA versus the NHL in terms of postseason success or the percentage of gains that they could likely see. Before we uh, close with the Olympics, Austin, I, I just want to let you have this real quick because um, because you're in the sort of the area where this uh, this is a hotbed sport. Um, I saw that FS1 averaged 2.74 million viewers for. The uh, the NASCAR Cup race from Kansas, and that was a bigger audience than uh, than uh, Dodgers Braves uh, baseball, uh, which is pretty impressive. But the thing I think that I've been seeing is that like uh, NASCAR's been up right the last couple of weeks, um, which I like. I'm a I'm a fan of that sport. I think it's a really interesting sport. You have any thoughts as to why? This is the this is the case because you know NASCAR has honestly not had a good viewership story for a long time. So that that was good to see. You know, you're right. All we've talked about, I feel like in my 15 years here is the, you know, the roller coaster drop that NASCAR numbers have seen. And, you know, I think we're finally getting to the to a point where they're where they're leveling out to where where they should be. And it's still an incredibly strong property this season in particular, though. It's kind of tough to do that year over year comparison like it is for many of the leagues. You know, last season they were running some Wednesday night races and you had the break. And but, you know, just seeing. For the comparisons that are apples to apples, seeing that they are having some gains compared to spring races, even from, you know, from the 2019 season, they're settling in into what their numbers might are going to look like. You know, it's in that PGA Tour range, but above like what a PGA, an average PGA Tour event is going to do on a Sunday. It's still one of the best properties out there. The numbers are strong, cable or broadcast, and it's good for them, you know, to be seeing these gains. All right, let's finish up with this, and I'll probably I'm going to bring you guys back probably before this actually starts. But since I have you both, um, I want to take advantage of it. Um, the Tokyo Olympics at the moment are scheduled for July 23rd to August 8th. Uh, now, I- anyone who is an Olympics fan, if you're reading about this, uh, Tokyo is in really bad shape when it comes to COVID. There is so much financial on the line that I would expect this to happen. Um, we can argue philosophically or morally or humane or hum, or sort of on a on a, a humanistic level whether it should happen and i think there's real argument that you're sending people in harm's way just so you know tokyo and the ioc can can get paid from from the nbc's and the like but we'll, we'll table that for a second for this conversation to talk about viewership john you know i go two ways on this when i think about the tokyo olympics if i want to take sort of the uh the 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 optimistic um, communal kind of experience. We're in a very polarized country. There are not many things that bring us together at the moment. The Olympics traditionally has been one of them. I think the notion of actually being able to sit down for fourteen or for seventeen days and watching people from your country compete in competition sounds really great and sounds awesome and something I want to cheer for. So that would be the positive sort of look at okay, this is going to do really well. On the other hand. People are tired. The pandemic's taken a lot out of people. Sports viewership numbers have been down. Um, it's a big commitment 
to sort of watch these Olympics for for as long as uh, as they exist in terms of the amount of weeks and and there's going to be other sports going on then too. Um, so in terms of your early kind of uh, thesis, John, or prognosis, what do you make of the Tokyo Olympics? I think it'll be like the Oscars, honestly. I feel like it's going to be pretty steep. Uh, steep I mean, decline, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. I think it's going to be Oscars, NBA Finals level. Because one, I think it was going to be a pretty steep decline in the alternate universe where COVID never existed. And it took place in 2020. I think it was going to be a steep drop then. Uh, and I think especially a year out of schedule, so it's been five years since the last Summer Olympics, three years since the last Olympics overall. Uh, I think there's going to be, with all the, pro, you know, all the precautions, you're probably not going to have hugely packed stadiums. Maybe you don't have fans at all. Um, you don't have Phelps. You don't have uh, Usain Bolt. You do have Simone Biles, but, you know, you, you need Phelps and Bolt, too. You, you can't just have one person can't anchor an Olympics. Uh, and so I think it'll be... Uh, I think it'll make Rio, which was a pretty shockingly low number at the time, I think it'll make Rio look like Atlanta or Los Angeles by comparison. That's interesting. And I do think, Austin, um, you know, one of the advantages of some of these Olympics, of course, is um, having built-in stars. And, you know, Bolt and Phelps in particular were, you know, two global icons who carried, um, you know, who basically could carry your, other than gymnastics, your two sort of most important viewership sports. So those two guys are gone. Obviously there are still stars in the sport, the Katie Ledecky's and stuff, but that's a, that's a, I, you know, that's a really good point by John. Are you as, um, I don't know, do you, are, are you, are you like John and that you see some declines coming too? Oh, absolutely. Uh, John hit it on, on the head there. I, I think you'll see it right off the bat. You'll see the least watch opening ceremony. And then, you know, as we get right into it, I can't, outside of Ledecky, I can't really name anybody in the swim team. I know it's May. I know we really haven't had the trials yet, you know, but that's the first week and you're going to see a pretty sharp drop off there. And, you know, I really don't know too many members of the USA track and field team yet. Again, we haven't had the trials or there hasn't been that mass marketing push, but is there going to be a mass marketing push behind any individuals? So I do agree that it isn't, you know, there's, it's a very name driven thing. And this is the first time in I don't know, 15, 20 years, then we're not going to have a Phelps there. You're not going to have a new Usain Bolt, you know, with appointment viewing. I mean, you always knew during these things, oh, Michael Phelps' race is coming on. You know, he's got that chance at, a, at an X, X number of golds in a row or Usain Bolt is, is running the 100. And, you know, that, you, that was destination viewing. And I, I just don't know that NBC is going to have that for these games. Do you think there's anything, before I let you guys go, anything NBC can do? Uh, in terms of sort of television tricks to try to juice the number. I saw one thing, Austin and John, that um, you can watch the opening ceremonies this year, correct, live, which, which uh, generally speaking, you've never been able to, to do before. And they'll still obviously do it on prime time with, you know, the storytelling elements that they like. But sort of off the top of my head, um, other than like Austin sort of was just hinting at, like trying to get ahead of this like a month and a half or two months early to create – or at least attempt to create some new stars of the games. Um, I do think this is a challenge, and I think John also hit on something that's really important that probably we haven't thought enough about, and there's no crowds. Like, you know, you remember, like, early in the pandemic when you were watching sort of soccer, like Bundesliga soccer, and, yeah, you'd watch it or something like that because it was the only sport on TV, but, man, it just it felt eerily silent. And I, in my lifetime, we've never had an Olympics with no crowd. 
And I do think that would factor in television. So, John, I'll, I'll we'll finish with you. Anything you think NBC can do uh, to try to juice this, or do you just throw as much shit as you can on marketing and and you know hope for the best in what's likely going to be a, a, a you know a down viewership play? I mean, I think for NBC, what you really have to do is just say whatever and move on to Paris in 2024. There's nothing they can do. Or Beijing in 2022, right? Well, I mean, honestly, I don't... Go really Belichick. We're focused on Paris. Yeah. I, no, I, I hear you. Really that's, Beijing's a tough sell, too. Massive yeah, tough. exactly. I don't know what that's going to look like in terms of the pandemic or really even anything else. And and that's a winter games anyway. So, you know, that's not even going to be a big draw relatively anyway. Not to mention we haven't even got to the political aspect of that. There are going to be people who are going to be um, very against those games, given the United States relationship with China. They, that's... That's going to be a really tricky scenario for NBC. Richard, that's a podcast for the Atlantic, not the Athletic. All right. Oh wait, I always just get those two mixed up. That's right. Thank you, Austin. You're like Oran. You stick to sports. Um, or Austin, do you have? Um, is there anything you think NBC can do, or do you agree with John here and just like that? You do your best, and ultimately, your next mega viewership play is Paris. I mean, you know, apparently, if you leak that Aaron Rodgers might be running on the USA track team, <laughs> that, that could help drive viewership. That's a proven commodity to help attract viewers. I mean, for the Winter Games, if you say Tanya and Nancy might be hosting the opening ceremony in Beijing, that could also help. <laughs> a long time ago, Austin. <laughs> exactly. You know, but, you know, I think that could still pull in some numbers. Yeah, it's you got to, there has to be some drama. You got to create some drama. It's got to come from somewhere. Maybe. You know, these games in particular, 21 and 22, helps create some new blockable for, for 2024. Maybe this yeah. is, you know, just part of the Olympic process where we're going to be developing stars. Basketball usually, like, I, even though basketball has all the NBA guys, like, if, I mean, you, John, you'd probably know off uh, the top of your head, but, like, does that do well other than, like, the final game? Like, are there, like... Are people watching that stuff, or is it sort of ultimately a like a metal play metal play kind of for the for the finals? Well, it depends. If it's on NBC broadcast, you can get some pretty big numbers for that. Uh, the women's basketball, I think, had ten million viewers for one of their their games. Yeah. It's a great team. My, uh, one of the greatest uh, team Olympic, uh, you know, like Olympic teams in global history. I don't think they've lost in five Olympics, that women's team. Yeah, so if, you, if you're on the NBC Broadcast Network, you can do well. On NBCSN, you know, I mean, you have to think back to, we're talking 2016. So at that time, maybe at the level of a pretty good regular season NBA game, but nothing too special. Austin, are you are anyone from your office traveling to the Olympics? I am not sure yet. Uh, that's a good question. I'm not sure. I can't answer that. I remember seeing uh, Trip Mickle and John Orand in... Uh, where would I have seen them? In London. In London. Yeah, they were both Correct. in London. Yes, yes. I was trying to remember if they were in Sochi with me, but I think it was London. No, it was just a trip went to Sochi. I remember getting the pictures of the half-finished bathrooms from Russia. Yeah, that was an interesting Olympics, I will say. Um, you felt like you were in a bit of a stage play uh, that the Russians were hosting, and we were in the middle of sort of the Olympic square. And uh, once you left that bubble, it was... Uh, you sort of realized, it, it, you know, it was, it was a bit of a show. But in a way, Olympics are are always shows. But yeah, you, you, they were. If I'm NBC, we we take the we take we take the media bus and we'd see places which look like they were like sort of supposed to be housing, but like you know, you looked inside and there was like no structure there. It was 
it was a it was a strange Olympic. Interesting, but strange. If I was NBC, I'd be more concerned if we were heading into the Los Angeles games and this was the case where we yes. were. Um, right. They, and, they, and, and again, knock on wood, the world returns to normal. Those 2028 games should be a juggernaut. It should, it'll be a juggernaut. And I think they're going to put all their might into developing marketable, you know, everything they can to develop marketable stars. They have a really good team there at LA 28 of proven sports business executives who know how to do this. I think it's going to be incredibly well done. Yeah. All right. Let's just hope aliens don't come and take the planet over before them. But yes, I agree with you. If, if we're still in these normal times, they're, the, you know, just like just like Fox for the World Cup, that's going to be US, Mexico, Canada. The, these, the viewership's going to be off the chart. All right. John Lewis. Let's talk about John Lewis, the fabulous John Lewis. Sports Media Watch's founder and editor, Check him out and uh, check him out. Check his site out, which, uh, again, for those of us who are into this stuff, um, basically it's, uh, it's an absolute must, must, uh, check on a daily basis. I appreciate, uh, all the hard work John has done over the years. Uh, I kind of wish he, I kind of wish he, he sold, uh, his site to somebody who could throw him a shitload of money like a DraftKings or something. But the guy basically, <laughs> um, has been an invaluable service for people like me. If you're on Twitter, follow him at at Paulson, P-A-U-L-S-E-N underscore S-M-W. Uh, Austin Carp has also worked incredibly hard. Uh, but I can't give him as much praise as, as, as John Lewis because Austin Carp works for a larger organization. Second place on a two-man podcast. Thanks. John Lewis is an independent. But follow <laughs> Austin Carp's work at sport at the, the invaluable Sports Business Daily. He's the managing editor slash digital there. Uh, John and Austin, thank you very much for a really interesting conversation. I, I love talking about this stuff, and um, and I do find – that uh, the viewers who uh, either write me or, or give me some feedback, they they dig these kind of conversations. So thanks so much, guys, for coming on today. Good times, Richard. Thanks for having us. Hey, thank you. All right, back in the studio. My thanks to uh, John Lewis and Austin Carp for their insights. I, I always enjoy these conversations. It's kind of fun to nerd out on sports viewership. Um, if you like these kind of conversations, please uh, head to the uh, Sports Media with Richard Deitch page and, you know, whether that's Stitcher or Google Play or uh, iTunes. Uh, leave us a five-star review and a nice rating uh, or a nice note. That's uh, My bosses do see that. It actually has great meaning for me. So thank you to those who have done that. Um, previous podcast episodes, at least the last couple, uh, before this one, NBC News and NBC National Political Correspondent Steve Kornacki, who picked the winner of the Derby, uh, he talked about how he got into sports and how he's worked on Football Night in America and the Derby. That was a fun conversation. Good of him to come on. And to Sean Reed, who's my colleague at The Athletic. He covers the Raiders in Las Vegas, which I just think is an incredibly interesting beat. So to Sean talked about how, uh, what it's like to cover the Raiders in Vegas and, um, and sort of the NFL in Las Vegas and how he got that job. Uh, also talked a little bit about he had a very tough year. His family had a very tough year with COVID. So uh, interesting guy. Does great work at The Athletic. Appreciated him coming on. Uh, before that one, David Purdom of ESPN. He talked about sports gambling, covering that beat, the trends and where things are going and Grant Wall on the uh, implosion of the Super League and, NFL, and, and MLS media rights. Before that, Jimmy Train of Sports Illustrated, Chad Finn of the Boston Globe for some straight media talk. And then before that, Paul Heyman, if you're a wrestling fan, uh, one of the greatest performers of all time, went behind the scenes on WrestleMania and the WWE and sort of that media universe. Um, so, again, thank you very much for listening. Appreciate everybody's uh, support. Uh, we're uh, closing in on... Uh, Get closer to the 150 episode mark of this podcast, and obviously it's part of close to three, maybe a little over 200 episodes at Sports Illustrated, maybe 
under 300. I have to check that math on that. Uh, anyway, thank you to Patrick uh, Antonetti for his uh, all his work. And I appreciate that. And uh, thank you to everybody at Cadence 13 for supporting this podcast. And most of all, thanks to you for listening. We will see you soon again on the Sports Media Podcast.